Hi everybody, this is Jeannie Faulkner and you are listening to Common Sense Pregnancy and Parenting, the podcast. Thank you all for tuning in this week. I am the author of Common Sense Pregnancy, the book, and you better get on out there and buy it because probably all of your questions about pregnancy, prenatal care, labor and delivery, and the very earliest days of uh, life with your new baby, it's probably in there. So go buy the book. It's everywhere that books are sold. I'm going to keep my intro kind of short today because we get to talk to someone who is an absolute expert in the field of breastfeeding, both on a personal, um, individual, and global level. And the reason why we're having this conversation today is because this is World Breastfeeding Week. And that is, um, it's a, an awareness raising campaign about all of the many, many ways that breastfeeding not only supports an individual child, but actually supports the health and well-being of our planet as a whole. Um, those of you that have listened back a few, uh, to previous episodes of Common Sense Pregnancy and Parenting know that I work in the world of global maternal health. And I've spoken a time or two about the Millennium Development Goals and the Sustainable Development Goals. And what these goals are, are goals created by people who come from all of the United Nations, 180 something of them, who came together and said, we know that we have it in our power to eradicate extreme poverty and to make this world the world we want to live in. Let's set some goals. So the Millennium Development Goals took us from the year 2000 to 2015 and did some incredible work in the world, really impressive work in the world. And I encourage you to go uh, online and do some studying. Go to the United Nations site and find out just how many of those goals we met. And it's it's testament to how many people in the world are doing good, good work. Please go check it out, especially now, because most of the news that we get in the world is pretty daunting. It's pretty tragic. It makes it seem like, you know, the darkness has won, when actually, that's not so true. Amazing work is being done around the world. Now, the Sustainable Development Goals is taking us to the next stage, um, and we're going to talk today with the executive director of the World Breastfeeding Alliance. <clears throat> and we're going to talk about how it is that breastfeeding is connected to making the world a better place to live in. And I am really excited about this conversation because I think that as mothers, you know, we, we all know that breastfeeding is best. We know that. This is not new information. What we're grappling with is, you know, all of the ways that our lives affect whether or not we can breastfeed and breastfeeding impacts our lives. So let's talk about that and let's get today's guest on the line. Hi, Amal. Hi. How are you? I'm fine. Well, good. How are you doing? I'm doing really well. Um, I just want to let my listeners know that I'm coming to you from my home office today, 
and I have some guys in the backyard cutting down some trees. So if you hear any extra noises, that's what it is. You're also probably going to hear that these guys are terrifying my puppy and he's going to bark like crazy, but we'll just do the best we can do. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, Emma, let, let me read your bio. Um, and I apologize in advance if I mispronounce your last name. Amal Omer Salim is currently co-executive director of the World Alliance for Breastfeeding Action, WABA. She is a research nutritionist with a PhD from Uppsala University in Sweden. Her research focused on exploring women's agency in managing breastfeeding and work in urban settings in Africa and Asia. She worked for several years as a technical consultant to WABA and other NGOs within the field of nutrition, health, and breastfeeding. So, first question is, where in the world am I finding you right now? Are you in Sweden, Amma? Yes, I am. I'm in, to be more specific, I'm in Uppsala, which is a one-hour train journey north of Stockholm, which is the capital. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Okay. So now that I've read your bio, the first question I generally ask people, some people find it kind of challenging. Tell me more about who you are and what you do, both within your work and not work-related. Okay. Yes. Well, we can start with the work-related then. I'm uh, currently I'm the co-executive director of WABA, the World Alliance for Breastfeeding Action, mm-hmm. which is a global organization, an alliance of different or, uh, a network of partners that are working to protect, promote, and support breastfeeding. And uh, in my daily work, uh, I work with advocacy, which is trying to make sure that decision makers, politicians, and those people who are in the, uh, have the power, so to speak, make uh, the enabling environment for women to be able to breastfeed or if they choose to do so. Um, I also work a lot with information and we also work uh, quite a bit with educating health professionals and trying to help uh, women who want to breastfeed to be able to do that. So that's basically in a nutshell, that's sort of what, what I do professionally, even though there's a lot more to it. But And then on the personal front, I'm a mother of three children. All right. How uh, old? Yeah. So my eldest child is turning 27 uh-huh. years this, this year. Uh-huh. And then I've got one who's 22 and another one who's turning 18 tomorrow. Oh, we have similar similar age groups. My youngest oh, is great. 16. And then I have a 21-year-old son and a 27-year-old daughter, a 28-year-old daughter, and a 31-year-old niece who is mine. So similar. Oh, that's our generation. Yeah, Amal. that's fantastic. Yeah. Yes, yes. I yeah. think we are in the same generation. Yeah. And all my children were <clears throat> breastfed uh-huh. for various times. Uh, I'm a nutritionist uh, by profession. And I have, uh, so I knew a lot about, you know, the importance of good nutrition and also breastfeeding. And then when I had my first child, I felt that, okay, I want to do this, but I actually had difficulty in managing. So I had to turn to a mother support group and I got the help that I needed. And so that actually was one of the 
catalyst for me to to actually engage in this uh, world of breastfeeding and to be able to help mothers around the world to have a good experience. Mm-hmm. Mm. So did you was that that was with your first baby that you had the challenges? Yeah. yeah. Yes, I had a lot of challenges and he was very demanding. He wanted to feed all the time and and uh, I was working, I was a student, but I was working part-time, and so there was a lot of juggling back and forth. <clears throat> yeah, I can relate. Yeah. Yeah, and, and that was sort of very challenging, but um, we managed to do that for actually for one and a half years. Uh, and then with the second child, it went much easier. Because mm-hmm, you knew uh, what you were doing. I knew what I was doing, and I knew that what to expect, and that's, I think, one of the big things with uh, having children all together and also breastfeeding and uh, the experience of breastfeeding is the expectations that you have mm-hmm. and that um, having realistic expectations and and not taking it too seriously when things sort of go wrong because that's sort of normal. Yeah. And, uh, and then, then with the third, with the yeah. third, I was just going to say, and with the third, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, with the third child, it was uh, there were little issues, some small issues there, and I was actually, I remember feeling quite surprised that, um, oh no, what's happening now? I know this, I've done this, yeah. Um, but he had his little personality, and he had some feeding problems, and he had a very small mouth, and and he didn't open wide, and so I had a bit of difficulties. I got help from a midwife, a trained midwife. And this was all in Sweden. So, of course, Sweden is one of the countries where breastfeeding is, you know, uh, really quite well supported. Yeah. And um, yeah. so I got the help that I needed. But I, I remember feeling that, that ha- having that feeling that, okay, each child is individual, you know. And I think that's one of the, another lesson learned, I would say, that um, even if you have one experience, uh, each experience will be different depending on the child and the circumstances that are uh, sort of surrounding those uh, the birth and and the postpartum period and so on. Yeah, it's not just about mom and her breasts. There's, a, there's no. A, yeah, definitely there's not. a second there's person so much involved more. there. <laughs> yes, there yeah. is, and and probably also a third and a fourth and a fifth person. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I depending know on what the family looks like. With my first baby, it went actually really well. Um, you know, I was surprised that it was as easy as it was, though I was also caught by surprise by um, the chapping and the, you know, the cracked nipples and the soreness. Yeah. I hadn't, oh, yes. I'd heard about it, but I didn't really get it. But, yeah. you know, it was actually no big deal. And within a week or so, we hit our stride and we did really well. And then I had yeah. my second daughter just a year and a half later, and I actually managed to breastfeed my first daughter um, for the full year and a month or so more, even though I was pregnant with the second one. And then I thought about tandem nursing, you know, doing two babies a year and a half apart, but oh, I was in nursing school and I was, you know, it was just too much. So baby number one got the full year and then some, and, and then that was that. That was enough for mm. me. And the second one, she wanted to nurse. I swear to God, she'd nurse for the rest of her life if she could. And we got <laughs> well beyond two years. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. And, and that's, I mean, that's yeah. that's really interesting because 
because I think it's it is sort of the the second child helps you. I mean, the first child help that experience helps you makes you makes it a learning experience. Right. Exactly. Uh, for the second and the third, and 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 of course, also there is that thing about becoming more confident, isn't it? As you grow older and yeah. you have more experience, and you feel you can also resist uh, sort of. Um, misdirected advice and as a first-time mother you're really quite vulnerable because a lot of people will have opinions yeah and they'll want to give you the best advice of course well-meaning advice but it's not always the best yeah yeah and I think that with the first one also you know you're so concerned about doing everything right and you know if there is a standard to be the perfect mom well, of course you want to hit it. But then once you have the second child, you know, oh, there's no way that's going to happen. Just do the best you can, honey. Just do the best you can. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. No, that's funny. true. With I my, recognize that. With mm. my third, my son, um, he was just such a breeze in every way as a baby. And I had to go back to work as I was working as a labor and delivery nurse on the night shift from like mm -hmm. seven o'clock at night till seven o'clock in the morning three nights a week. And so I had, you know, breast stored breast milk and my husband would heat up the bottle and feed the baby in the middle of the night. And within the first couple of nights that I went back to work after having my son, he figured out she's not even here. It's going to be <laughs> dad and a bottle at 2 a.m. This is not worth my while. And he just started sleeping through the night on the nights I wasn't there. It was awesome. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they, I think they get it. Uh, you know, kids are pretty smart. They're very smart. You know, yeah, yeah. They understand and they, they, they get into the routine and they adapt. I mean, it is a lot about adapting to becoming a parent and also adapting to breastfeeding. And yeah. I think that's what that's the thing that people don't really talk about much is that it is really a give and take, and you're building a relationship with this child. Mm -hmm. And, and you're growing together and learning from each other. And, yeah. and I think that's where, where we, 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 especially for, for pregnant uh, women, that um, there's a lot of, uh, at least here in Sweden and I think in many other parts of the world, the, the expectations of, you know, that you have to, like you said, be a perfect mom and that there's one way of doing things. Right. But, but actually, that's not the case. It's actually what we have to try to, uh, instill is, is that, uh, you know, there's lots of ways of doing things. And it's really about creating a flexible society that can accommodate all of the different cases, you know, in different situations. Right. Yeah. And there's no one size fits all, really. Well, baby number four was the one that I just, it was a huge crisis. And that is because... Um, when she was three months old, um, the, for the, her, the first three months of her life, nursing on the right breast was just fine. Nursing on the left breast, I hated it. It irritated me. I didn't want to nurse her. And it was just so completely different from what happened with all my other children. Um, and at three months, I found a lump and was then oh. diagnosed with breast cancer. And I had a pretty pretty good batch of it. Um, mm. It had spread a bit. So I had to, she was three months old. I had a weekend to wean her before I started mm. into treatment. And that was devastating. 
devastating. Oh, dear. Such a short time period. Yeah. And so then I all of a sudden went from being an avid breastfeeding mom for all of my children to being a bottle feeder. And um, I was really fortunate that um, the hospital that I worked for, they rushed in with cases of formula for me. Um, Mm. And then when that ran out, I found out just how expensive it is. (laughs) And I also learned from that experience that actually bottle feeding, where I live in Portland, Oregon, with clean water and good supplies of of formula, was fine. It turned out to be fine. And that was 16 years old, 16 years ago, and all of us are doing great. Yeah. But it shifted my perspective a lot. You know? Yeah. yeah. Yes, I can imagine because, I mean, this is one of the things as a, as um, <clears throat> that we do, of course, WABA does protect and promote and support breastfeeding. Mm-hmm. But uh, what we really also, we're not against formula. Uh, we do realize that uh, some mothers will choose to formula feed their babies. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are some mothers who are forced to do that against mm-hmm. their choice, possibly. Yeah. Uh, the situation, I mean, what you just described is something that uh, sort of illustrates that, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, it happens. Uh, it happens. I mean, the life happens, as they say. Yeah. I remember and I used to have patients. I, I had a few patients over the 20 years that I worked at the hospital that mm. didn't want to breastfeed because they were um, sexual assault survivors. And mm. they just couldn't bear to have anybody on their body like that. Yeah, and you know you got to respect that. We have to that. respect women, really. I mean, this is yeah. the the sort of this is why we always try to have a woman centered approach because mm-hmm. um, there's a lot about you know the benefits of breastfeeding for the child. Of course, now we've got you know international evidence research coming out from WHO and everybody's talking about this evidence that it's really important to breastfeed for for reasons of health and both the short term and the long term. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we also know that it's important for women's health. And and the fact of the matter is that it's actually women's bodies. It's women who are uh, doing the breastfeeding. And of course, the child is there and the child is there to sort of latch on and, and to get what it needs, you know, in terms of nutrition, in terms of the bonding and the both the benefit, all the benefits, long term and short term benefits. But um, we really have to look at it from women's perspectives and women's bodies. And I mean, this is where we are sort of, uh, we have to be, like you said, respectful. We have to be uh, caring and cater to the needs of women. Right. Yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit about World Breastfeeding Week. Tell me why it's important and a little about its history. Yeah. Okay. So World Breastfeeding Week uh, this year is, is the 24th year that we've been celebrating uh, this global campaign. Uh, and World Breastfeeding Week started actually in 1992. So next year will be our 25th year wow. uh, of, of this. And it's celebrated in about 170 countries, which is practically almost all the countries in the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have uh, 100, uh, one and a half million um, constant celebrants, as we call them, who celebrate consistently every year. Mm-hmm. And then we have a number of other celebrants all around the world who also engage because it all depends on what the theme is 
and and what the activities that are happening at the ground level or at the national level at, or community level and so on so basically it's a it's a tool it's a social mobilization tool and by that we mean that it's about raising awareness of the importance of breastfeeding uh, making sure that breastfeeding is protected and that means that uh, of course, we have the formula industry, we have marketing practices, as you know, there's quite a bit of that going on. Yeah. Uh, you know, trying to convince mothers that formula is actually the best option. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's one of the reasons why we protected and we have an international code of marketing uh, against uh, promotion of breast milk substitutes. And that's mm -hmm. really important that we do protect it from these forces. Uh, but we also, and most importantly, I would say, support breastfeeding. So all of these protection, promotion and support of breastfeeding, that's one of the focuses of uh, World Breastfeeding Week. And every year we, we choose a different theme. Uh, and sometimes the themes are sort of what we call sort of uh, a little bit technical in the sense it could be about a particular... Uh, aspect of breastfeeding like initiation of breastfeeding at birth mm -hmm. uh, we would like to <clears throat> that it that mothers start breastfeeding within half an hour or one hour of birth giving birth because that's the time when the baby is sort of like ready for it the reflexes are ready the mother is ready uh, generally speaking and it's good to start the first, have the first breastfeed there and the baby gets that colostrum, you know, which is really rich in nutrients and antibodies and, and could be seen like the first vaccine uh, and helps the immune system of the baby. And sometimes we have uh, sort of very uh, broad topics like we had in 2013 uh, about supporting mothers, close to mothers, having breastfeeding support like uh, mother support groups, peer counselors, uh, lactation consultants and health workers who've been trained in breastfeeding and so on and making sure and then even making sure that the father is, uh, and the, of the child is there to support his partner and uh, be able to help you know and take care in the parenting and the, the domestic work and all that stuff so that it becomes a, uh, the burden is not just on mothers. Yeah, yeah, especially if she has little ones. Remember yes, that exactly. challenge of nursing one oh, baby yes, while chasing yes, a toddler? Yeah. Yes. I mean, that's Women one of the things so that... so resourceful. <laughs> yeah, you have to be very creative and multitask. And I think that's really something that employers, as if I were an employer, I would uh -huh. really look for, you know, mothers who've been breastfeeding or any, generally mothers, you know, who've had many kids because they know how to multitask and they know yeah. how to get things done. Yeah. One of, the, one of the things that I consider my smartest accomplishments was that I created um, a nursing basket so that mm -hmm. when I was nursing the, you know, the, the newborn, then the one and a half year old would nestle in next to me and in this basket there would be a favorite book, a little snack, maybe a toy Ooh. she hadn't seen in a while. And that way I could keep her, you know, tethered close to me, playing yeah. with something. And she, she learned to, you know, kind of look forward to it. Oh, what's in our basket? It was a cute yeah. yeah. And then yeah. so she gets a positive experience of this right. breastfeeding. That, that's also really important. I mean, we have to also start, you know, giving positive images and of breastfeeding from an early age. Yeah. 
Yeah. And so definitely. just seeing a breastfeeding, uh, breastfeeding going on, I think that sort of helps uh, in the society, in the development. It's like a socialization process, you know, sort right. of that we, we, we start to see it as the normal. We need to make it as a new normal. Yeah. And, and that's important. So I was just going, thinking of, of actually this year's World Breastfeeding Week is about the SDGs, as we call yeah. them. And that sounds yeah. really quite complicated, doesn't it? Well, it does. But I explained a little bit about it um, in before we got you on the phone call today you okay. know, about how it is a um, United Nations collaboration of goals that... Um, have been set out to alleviate extreme poverty and many of the major crises that the world faces today, and that it's an extension of uh, the Millennial Development Goals. So I, I explained yes. a little bit about that, um, but what I'm really impressed by with this year's theme is how you link breastfeeding with so many of the SDGs. And I wonder yeah. if you'll help me explain how that works. And I was thinking, you guys have this great infographic on the mm -hmm. World Breastfeeding Week website. And mm -hmm. so I was going to ask you for a little bit of an overview. And then I was hoping that you and I could just kind of touch base on each of the SDGs that you mention, And you could yeah. explain the link. How's that? Yes. Yeah, yeah, that sounds great. I, I think that's, that's actually what we, we, we aim to do with this World Breastfeeding Week, is to make the links to the SDGs, the Sustainable Development Goals, and I mean, these are these are goals that are very ambitious, you know, I mean, the Millennium Development Goals, there were eight of them. Mm -hmm. And now the uh, the leaders of the world have come together and said that, OK, there are actually now 17 yeah. goals. Yeah. And this is going to set the scene for the next 15 years. So until 2030. I like to point out to people that the Millennium Development Goals were really radical. I mean, we'd mm. never had looked at poverty eradication that way before. And I think that most people who don't, you know, walk in the same circles that we walk in are really caught by surprise to understand just what a huge impact and positive difference the MDGs made. But they mm. were pretty broad. And yes. um, what is so disappointing to so many of us is that one of those goals, which was to um, reduce maternal mortality by 75% yeah. in 15 years. That is the one Millennium Development Goal that absolutely did not hit its target in most countries. Yes. And it, it's because it's not a simple solution. It's cultural. It's educational. Yeah. It's economic. It's ecological. And and it's, it's not an easy... Uh, connection for many people to make. And I think actually by talking about the sustainable development goals and breastfeeding, we're going to help people understand that a little bit better. Yes, so, you're right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Because people don't get it, that they're just how tangential that the subject of motherhood and breastfeeding and childbirth and maternal mortality and women's empowerment, how it's all connected. So yeah. let's, let's start at the beginning. The first okay. one is no poverty. Yes, yes, no poverty. And, and this is really poverty in, in all its forms. You know, there's, uh, of course, sometimes we, we think about poverty as uh, sort of, oh, there are continents or there are regions of poverty, but you can find poverty in every city, basically. 
Um, I just came, yeah, I just came from the U.S. now. And uh, on every street corner, there are poor people, homeless people sitting. You know, we were in Chicago. There are affluent people. If you go to India, for example, you will find the the difference between the rich and the poor is like huge, you know. So, so basically, in every everywhere, there is poverty in 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 some form or another. And of course, there's with with the global situation, you know, with wars and conflicts and so on that. Poverty is moving around. Mm -hmm. Even in countries like Sweden, we have poor populations. We have homeless refugees from mm -hmm. Syria. We have populations from Romania and Bulgaria. And are, regardless uh, of, of what part of the world yeah. we're looking at, breastfeeding is, it doesn't cost yeah. anything. It it's doesn't affordable. cost anything. Yeah, it's affordable. And if you look at the, the cost of formula, uh, and 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 you go into any supermarket and you look at the formula tins. I mean, they're expensive. It's so expensive. You know, it is oh my really God. exactly. And I mean, yeah. I'm I'm just thinking. You know, when I think back about how much money we saved for our family, I'm just sort of like, wow. You know, it's it, it it's it's we wouldn't it's, have been able to afford it on student loans. You know, I know. Uh, you know, I I'm think... just thinking that we 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 really did a good thing in terms of our family economy. You know. Yeah. I think, so I think that, I mean, when yeah, I had that to, just... When I had to formula feed my daughter 16 years ago, I think that a tin was, you know, enough for almost a week, but not a full week. And it was between 15 and $20. So yeah. we're talking about 100 bucks a month. Yes. And, yeah. and, you know, if you look in, if you go to some places in Africa, formula can be about two thirds of a family, you know, the the, the minimum wage. Right. Right. And, and, and then, I mean, and then you have to mix it with water. You yeah. Clean water, water. And that's not available everywhere, yeah. you know, and, and then you've got to buy the, the bottles and you've got to be able to, you know, the, the time that when these babies that get sick because of that, you know, then uh, that takes time to take them to the healthcare system, you know, and to the clinic and to get the medicines and all of that stuff. So uh, time is money as well, you know. So, I mean, there are a lot of associated costs, you know. It's the formula and then all the associated costs, you know. Right, right. So okay. that's one thing. So we say that we really say that if you want to save money in terms of your fa for, for the family, for the household, for the, uh, the, the even for the nation, it's just cost savings. Yeah. I was just, I interviewed Roger Thoreau a few weeks mm -hmm. back, um, who is the author of the new book, uh, the first thousand days, and yeah. he makes the um, the connection that you know the the health and well being of a country or a nation can be linked back to that child and that mother's nutrition at the very beginning in the first thousand days, yeah. because you know when you have a healthy mother and a healthy baby they're going to go on to make changes in the world that they wouldn't do if they hadn't been able to fully realize their potential nutritionally and breastfeeding yeah. contributes to that. Yes, so, it does. And I mean, yeah. I mean that we say that there's uh, there's uh, the statistics say that about 820,000, more than 820,000 child lives could be saved and about 20,000 uh, women's lives actually just from breast cancer. That's just because breastfeeding does protect against some types of cancer. Uh -huh. yeah. And if if the um, if we really just want to look at those 
very sort of hard facts. These are very significant. And of course, then also there are softer facts in the sense, in the sense that if you have a healthy child, that child will, go, will be able to go to and is able to go to school and learn. And yeah. actually, there are some studies that show that actually uh, their income will be more. Let's go ahead and touch on the other um, SDGs that are on yeah. the infographic and make those connections for people. So the next one yeah. is zero hunger. And yes. you guys write exclusive breastfeeding and continued breastfeeding for two years and beyond provide high quality nutrients and adequate energy and can help prevent hunger, undernutrition and obesity. Breastfeeding also means food security for infants. Yes. Yeah. And, and so that is really uh, sort of at the crux at the heart of the matter is that breastfeeding is the first food for babies, right. breast milk. And that's why we really want to make sure that mothers are able to provide that food if they, uh, that breast milk, um, for the time period at least exclusively for the first six months and then continued for two years or up to as long as the mother and baby want to. But uh, WHO and the international community recommend for about two years because there's benefits of doing that. But uh, the interesting thing here is that it's not just malnutrition, you know, that breast milk prevent, prevents malnutrition, also prevents overnutrition. Mm -hmm. So actually, that's one of the growing trends, you know, that, that actually the world is getting bigger and fatter. Mm -hmm. yeah. And and I think uh, in many countries, you find that you will have uh, as many, the, the same percentage of those who are malnourished, the, not the same the equivalent percentage are overnourished. Yeah. yeah, and that has consequences, you know, on on for for the health of these people themselves. Right. Uh, you know, so obesity. Gets, yeah, and we're starting is, to get into the know, uh, the next um, SDG, which is about good health and well being. Yeah, and, and 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 the good thing here is about, in contrast to the MDGs, this uh, SDG three, it connects both the health and development of the infant and the child and the mother. Right. Right. So in the last, in the MDGs, we had one goal for infants and children, and we had mm -hmm. another one for mothers. But here mm -hmm. we have learned the lesson that actually this is a dyad, you know, we've got to keep them together. Right. What's good for the mother is good for the baby is good for the it, mother is good for the baby. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It goes, you know, and we yeah. know that, you know, as mothers and that it all has to sort of, it's all connected. Yeah. Let's talk uh, about quality education. Um, you guys write, breastfeeding and adequate complementary feeding are fundamentals for readiness to learn. Breastfeeding and good quality complementary foods significantly contribute to mental and cognitive development and thus promote learning. So true. So yeah. true. You feed that brain correctly, that baby's going to go to school and do better. Yes, and yeah. it's uh, there's so much in breast milk, and, and we know a lot of what is in breast milk. And we know that all those long chain polyunsaturated fatty acids and the taurine and all those enzymes and hormones and amino acids that are in breast milk, that they actually promote the development of the young brain, the baby's yeah. brain. I remember so, um, one really... of my children's kindergarten teachers, I was asking her, you know, about, could she tell when children came into, um, the classroom, which ones 
came from families where they were able to eat well and families that weren't. And she said, all I hope is that most of the kids in my classroom will not have been weaned on Coca-Cola. Mm. Yeah. Wow. yeah. And, and that was her hope that most, certainly not yeah. all. And I live in Portland, Oregon, where there's plenty of food and education and people know. And yet mm. there's still deep poverty. And it's cheaper to sometimes reach for the soda than it is to reach for the milk or easier. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's really important that when people, when people, good nutrition, having a good breakfast, I mean, if you just look at it, I mean, yourself, if I wake up in the morning and I don't have a good breakfast, right, I can't work properly. Right. You know, so what about the young baby, the young child who's going to go to school and learn and learn a lot for its future? You know, I mean, it's really an investment in the future. Yeah. Yeah, That child. So what about gender equality? Breastfeeding is yeah. the great equalizer, giving every child a fair and best start in life. Breastfeeding is uniquely a right of women, and they should be supported by society to breastfeed optimally. The breastfeeding experience can be satisfying and empowering for the mother as she is in control of how she feeds her baby. And boy, I don't know about in Sweden, but here in the United States, there is so much talk about whether or not women should cover up when they breastfeed. Mm. It's a big conversation, and I don't know mm-hmm. how much of it is just media fabricated and how much of it people are concerned about. Certainly in my part of the world, nobody cares if somebody's breastfeeding. But I, you know, in many parts of the United States, it's you know, women are at risk of getting kicked out of a restaurant because they show their breasts or they're breastfeeding. To me, that's the issue that gender equality brings up. Yeah, I agree with you because, I mean, I think that this is one of the things that, I mean, we don't go into a toilet or into, you know, to to have our sandwich or lunch break. Right. Uh, As human beings, we should be able to, we have the right to food, we have the right to eat, we have the right to be in the public space. Uh, And I think this is really, I mean, when women who are breastfeeding, feeding are forced to go into you know to cover up or they're kicked out of a restaurant or they're told to go please do that in the toilet mm-hmm. I think it's really a violation of rights of the human rights of the mother and the yeah. baby yeah and I'm- and I think this is where we need to really have this awareness raising you know that of that it's it's a right and it should be protected yeah. Uh, and women should be able to choose. Okay, uh, we can say like this, that, I mean, you don't have to expose your breasts if you don't want to. Uh, you can be, you know, discreet about it. Uh, that's why we're saying that, you know, if you want to be uh, in public spaces like shopping malls and so on, there should be a space which is sort of in the public space, but sort of kind of private so that if a mother wants to sort of be a little bit private, she can do that. If, but on the other hand, if she wants to sit on a park bench and breastfeed her child because he's crying because he needs food, he's hungry, he or she is hungry, uh, why are people denying that? I mean, this is one of the things that we need to sort of like work, uh, you know, against that kind of perception and those attitudes. And, and I think we can only do that by uh, uh, campaigns like normalizing breastfeeding. You can breastfeed here. Uh, here in Sweden, we've got this campaign you can breastfeed anywhere yeah. and even on trains you can there's stickers and it says yeah you're welcome breastfeeding is welcome here restaurants cafes you know let's make yeah. it work you know for women when you consider children. 
the service that women are providing the world that men certainly can't. Yeah. We're providing the next generation of children. You want us to feed them well. You want them to be raised well, to be happy, healthy, smart as can be, full. You want this from us. So why yeah. penalize women for doing the service that we provide in the world? Lord yeah. knows men's bodies don't have to do anything all that biologically different from day to day. <laughs> women should be not only supported, they should get a crown Yes, yeah. yes. And I think that is also one of the goals of World Breastfeeding Week. And we have many um, uh, groups around the world who, uh, you know, celebrate it by women doing uh, what they call flash mobs, you know, mm-hmm. big latch on, you know, latching onto breastfeeding public to, to, to show it because there has to be a human face to it. You know, it's not something that you just do in your home, in the confines of your home. Right. You, you should be able to do it anywhere because it, and we, we're all, the whole of society is benefiting from it. You know, like you said, it's, it's something that everybody's reaping the benefits of it. And why should women then have to hide it? Right. Yeah. So the next So, one, I mean, gender equality is really important. It's huge. Yeah. It's everything. As far as I'm concerned, it's everything. It's, it's everything. It all comes back to that. Yeah. Yeah. So the next one is clean water and sanitation. And we already talked quite a lot about that, about how formula requires access to clean water, hygiene, and sanitation. Um, But the other part of that that is so remarkable is that you can breastfeed anywhere. You don't have to be near a water source. It's all Mm. the water that a baby needs, even on a hot, hot, hot day. It's right there. You pull up your shirt, your baby is fine. Mm. Yeah. Are there other connections for clean water and sanitation that you want to make? Um, well, I think that no, I think you said it all there, actually, because I mean, we we just make we just mean, need to understand that you know access to clean water around the world is one big challenge, uh, and and this is something that um, of course if there was if people had access to clean water, but now looking at the situation, you know, the political and the conflict situations where you have refugees and camps and so on, so this is really an issue in many parts of the world, especially where there are conflicts and war zones yeah, and, yeah. and where there are natural disasters, you know, in natural, like if there's a typhoon or a, a flooding or a, a drought or, you know, all this just becomes so much more um, visible. Right. And, and they're, they're trying to protect and promote and support breastfeeding becomes really it's a matter of, of life and de- or death, you know, yeah. I mean, yeah. and, and, and disasters, natural disasters striking everywhere, you know, because of climate change and all of that, you know. Which so, kind of brings us yeah. to the next one, which is affordable and clean energy. And I actually hadn't considered the, you know, energy, water and production um, costs for creating yeah. formula. That was interesting. Mm. To me, I hadn't considered that actually it takes a lot of energy to produce yeah. formula and yes. breastfeeding also reduces the need for water and firewood, firewood and fossil fuels in the home. That one was interesting. Yeah. 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 I mean, that's that's why I said that, you know, like we have to look at the, the, the cost of formula when we look at the cost for the household or the family. Yeah, that's one part of it. But there are a lot of associated costs. Right. And yeah. and to ca- like in a country like Tanzania and Afri- East Africa, for example, women have to walk five kilometers, you know, to get firewood and and all of this. So this is really, you know, for women's time and their workload. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, you really, it's impossible, you know, it's an impossibility. Yeah. Yet if, you know, with breastfeeding, again, you can take that baby with you everywhere you go and lift up your shirt and feed your child. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so decent work and economic growth. Let me read that one. Breastfeeding mm. women who are supported by their employers are more productive and loyal. Maternity protection and other workplace policies can enable women to combine breastfeeding and their other worker employment. Decent jobs should cater to the needs of breastfeeding women, especially those in precarious situations. And we talked a little bit earlier, you said employers should hire mothers. They mm. should hire women because especially, you know, if they're breastfeeding babies, they know how to get stuff done. Hmm. Yeah. What else do yeah, you think about that? I think, yeah, I think you see, this is one very big area. I mean, more and more women are coming into the labor force, you know, and working outside the home. Right. Here in the U.S., and, it's for, we women make up 48% of the workforce. Yeah, and I mean, that's the way it's uh, probably, it should be, you know, in the way that we could say that societies are, we're moving towards those kind of societies and and economies where uh, two incomes, you know, are needed, you know, for to be able to sustain the family and so on. So, I mean, this is something that, and it's not just about the income, it's women want, to, you know, their careers and their advancement and their wish to, to have a fulfillment, fulfilling life, yeah. Uh, and work life as well that's sort of you know part of life in as a whole it's uh, work life and family life and your yourself and your own fulfillment mm -hmm. so i mean here women are contributing to the economy uh, like you said in the us in many parts of the world women are sort of the the coming into the labor force and we're getting closer and closer to uh, uh, more gender equitable uh, female labor participation rates, as it's called, mm -hmm. in the technical speak. Uh, some countries, uh, like in the Middle East and in Asian countries, they're falling behind because women are not supported. And one of the big things is the challenges to be able to combine, you know, your work life and your family life, which includes breastfeeding. So that's why we say that maternity leave or parental leave or family leave all these kind of and, and workplace solutions like um, breastfeeding breaks or facilities at the workplace to be able to express milk or breastfeed the baby. All of this helps women to be able to combine their various, uh, you know, lives or um, avatars, you know, sort of as a mother, yeah. as a worker, as a, yeah, as an individual. And this so kind of this is really important to, yeah. To, it, to make sure that we get these decent jobs, like we say, with decent working conditions. And in the next goal, you discuss industry innovation and infrastructure. And it, it's they're connected goals in my mind. Yeah. You yes, talk about, you know, with indus industrialization and urbanization, the time and space challenges become more prominent. Breastfeeding mothers who work outside the home need to manage these challenges and be supported by their employers, their own families and communities. I love this because this is a European term, crushes near the workplace. We mm -hmm. call we, we would say child care centers. Lactation, okay. yeah, yeah, I, but I love that, crushes, because yeah. for me, a crush is um, the nativity scene that you lay out at Christmas. And I love mm. that. We've got Mother Mary, and I know she was breastfeeding. Yay! <laughs> Lactation rooms and breastfeeding breaks can make a big difference. Um the next one is reduced inequalities. And I wonder if you could briefly talk about 
that, how that differs and, and how that differs from gender equality. Yes. I mean, here we're looking in, in terms of gender equality, we're looking at, you know, the, the, the status of women and, and, and the status of men and the, the balance between the genders. Right. right. So the, the issues re regarding reproduction, you know, all the things like pregnancy, childbirth, um, care of children, including breastfeeding, of course, those are sort of heavily uh, sort of um, we would say for the burden the, the so-called burden falls heavily on women right uh, now when we talk about inequalities like SDG 10 is that we do have like for example between rural and urban we have mm -hmm. inequalities mm -hmm. we have between countries uh, the global south and the global north as it's often called um, the the countries uh, even within countries you've got uh, like in in areas there are pockets of poverty of really ultra poor mm -hmm. uh, like in, in in certain Asian um, countries you've got people who are um, very much marginalized groups you've got even in in countries like um, Sweden, you've got marginalized groups like the Laps, the Samis, the people in, in Lapland in the north mm -hmm. and who are marginalized. So there are a lot of inequalities which are not partic uh, particularly gender related, you know, between the genders. It's just between different types of groups, perhaps different uh, um, ethnic groups mm -hmm. or depending on their location, whether they live in the city or in the rural area and so on. So this is really important because we, uh, I mean, sustainable development is really about, very much about equity as well, mm -hmm. making sure that uh, nobody is left behind. I heard a story yesterday when I was talking to somebody about um, what breastfeeding mothers in Bangladesh, what their challenges were. And they said that, you know, primarily most women breastfeed and, um, or at least they'll start to breastfeed. And the inequities that they would face would be that maybe there wouldn't be enough food allotted to the breastfeeding mother so that she could keep it going. Or mm. maybe she was in an urban situation or even a rural situation where she had to work outside the home. And, mm. you know, they work on, you know, farms or in factories. And she mentioned specifically that very poor women in Bangladesh have to work in the garment industry, producing mm -hmm. clothes that get sold all over the world, but they are not allowed the time or a place to pump their breasts. So yeah. essentially, and, and we know that women in America face the same thing, although certainly not in as dire a situation, but mm -hmm. women all over the world are expected to go back to work before they should have to wean their babies. And unless they are given you know, the opportunity and the space to pump, then breastfeeding is over. And mm. we we talk a lot about, you know, how some industries and some countries are starting to make that change, but that kind of support still comes primarily to well-off women. Yes. Yeah. And I think that's where we look towards trying to, like, for example, support women who are in working in the informal sector and you know even mm -hmm. if they have a job in the so-called garment factory and uh, they have a contract their conditions of work are not sort of you know at par with uh, what would be 
considered as internationally approved standards, you know. Right, right. Uh, and, and I think this is where we really need to think in terms of um, this SDG 10, is that to make sure that inequities are reduced uh, and targeting the really the poorest of the poor, the most vulnerable, and they would need more support. And, and sometimes we say that, I mean, there may be, like for example, in India, there are a lot of call center, women working in the call centers, you know, and uh, that's, you know, you get a phone call in the middle of the night, uh, it's middle of the night in, in India, and this young woman who is possibly a mother, mm -hmm. uh, has to leave her baby, you know, uh, for possibly 14-hour shift work yeah. uh, in a call center. And then the result is that, uh, well, the baby has to be bottle-fed by mother-in-law or somebody else. Right. Uh, so there are inequities in many, many different ways. And I think this is really one of the very difficult uh, SDGs that, to tackle uh, because it's about reducing the gaps between rich, poor, and all, not only rich and poor, but also those who do not have uh, the supportive enabling environment. Right, right. And, and I think we're going to, the world is going to have a big challenge here, but we, we, breastfeeding can help towards this. And, and best, basically because it touches on the core of what the baby needs and what the mother needs. Right, right. Yeah. So we still have seven to go. And we're yeah. starting to run out of time. So let's go. Yeah. But they're so interesting. So let me touch on them lightly and read the mm -hmm. description. And then let's make these connections for people. Yeah. The next one is sustainable cities and communities. And you write, in the bustle of big cities, breastfeeding mothers and their babies need to feel safe and welcome in all public spaces. When disaster and humanitarian crises strike, women and children are affected disproportionately. Pregnant and lactating women need particular support during such times. You know what? Babies come, they are born, mm -hmm. and they have to be fed even when the earthquake strikes or yes. the typhoon washes away everything. You know? Yes, exactly. Is, and and, and that's where we can, you know, very simple interventions like having breastfeeding tents in refugee camps or targeting women with good food, nutrition, so that they get actually, they're able to get, you know, ahead in the queue. They get, uh, they get the food they need so that they can feed their babies. You know, quite simple interventions. Privacy you know, simple and nutrition. Things. Yeah, making sure privacy, they're safe. Yeah, it really privacy comes down nutrition. to privacy, yeah. nutrition, and respect. That's yeah. what, that's yep. the, the trilogy. I like that. Yes, yeah. exactly. I like that. <laughs> Responsible consumption and production. Breastfeeding provides a healthy, viable, non-polluting, non-resource intensive, sustainable, and natural source of nutrition and sustenance. I think that says it. <laughs> yeah, that says it. I mean, this yeah. is also linked, of course, to many of the other SDGs. And that's also another thing is that many of these SDGs are also interlinked. You right. Know? And just like breastfeeding. We, yeah. were, we were just touching on well, climate action is the next one. And we talked about that a little bit in terms of when disaster strikes. Mm. Um, breastfeeding safeguards infant health and nutrition in times of adversity and weather-related disasters due to global warming. And, you know, we, we're seeing that more and more. And invariably, the disasters that we see, the hurricanes, the typhoons, um, and other natural disasters are they're very often um, because of climate change, 
And it's the women who suffer the most. Yes, exactly. And and we and that's why, for example, when we are talking about climate change and mitigating climate change, we, we can actually think about breastfeeding as as a sort of lowest form of the carbon footprint, you know. Right. So it's it's something that we can actually do as individuals to contribute to lowering our carbon footprint on this planet. Yeah. You know, um, so that's maybe just one more sort of argument if you are uh, f- for breastfeeding. Let's do life below water and life on land super quick. Breastfeeding yeah. entails less waste compared to formula feeding. Industrial formula production and distribution lead to waste that pollutes the seas and affects marine life. And then life on land, breastfeeding is ecological compared to formula feeding. Formula production implies dairy farming that often puts pressure on natural resources and contributes to carbon emissions and climate change. And, you know, that that all ties into responsible <laughs> consumption and production, climate action, yes, sustainable exactly. communities. They're all connected. Yeah. So peace, justice, peace and justice, strong institutions. Breastfeeding is enshrined in many human rights frameworks and conventions. National legislation and policies to protect and support breastfeeding mothers and babies are needed to ensure that our rights are upheld. And, you know, it's not a natural connection for most people to make that breastfeeding Mm. has to do with the laws we pass, the leaders we elect, Mm -hmm. and the people that represent us. And here in the United States, um, women are not represented very well. We only have about Mm. 18% governmental representation across all levels, only 18%. So 72% of the laws are made here by men who have never mm-hmm. once breastfed or had a baby. Not once. Yeah. Not yeah. even once. Yeah, and, exactly. And that's yeah. why we need to work towards, you know, getting the uh, more women in this, uh, making the connection between the governance and political representation, like you said, you know, women, so that women's needs, uh, women and babies' needs are taken care of in legislation. Right. Like, for Otherwise, example, maternity them. legislation. Yeah. No, it I mean, this is where it guys. gets really uh, sort of very tricky because we do also want to get men, you know, sort of involved in this and to understand better what women need to be supported to be able to breastfeed, you know. So right. it's important. But we definitely need a critical mass of women. And, I mean, women make up half of the population. So that's really sort of, you know, there's no... Uh, excuse, as we say here in Sweden, there's no excuse, really. So uh, we make up 51%. Make and if yeah. that was, if that was a corporate situation, we would mm-hmm. be the majority and we would be making all the rules. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then yeah. accountability as well, you know, yeah. uh, our politicians have to be accountable to these, a uh, lot of uh, many countries, actually, all the countries in the world, except two have signed the Convention on the Rights of the Child. Mm-hmm. And which, that which is, countries have not? Yeah, so there's two countries that haven't signed, and one of them is the U.S. and the other one is Somalia. How am I not surprised about that? Mm, I am not. I think surprised. there's a lot to do there. <laughs> yeah, the U.S. Yeah. and Somalia, guys. Yes, yeah. and and the CRC, the Convention on the Rights of the Child, does support breastfeeding. Yeah. Uh, so actually, it's there. So actually, I mean, if you want to look at it like this, that this is an international convention. Uh, it's actually not very controversial. It's about children's rights. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. So let's talk about look the that. final SDG really quickly. And then I just mm -hmm. have time for one more really important question for you. Okay. Um, the last SDG is partnerships for the goals. The global strategy for infant and young child feeding fosters multi-sectoral collaboration and can build upon various partnerships for support of development through breastfeeding programs and initiatives. That is a mouthful, but let's just real quick, real quick, mm -hmm. what does that mean? Well, the international community, WHO, the UN community and UNICEF, they've come up with a strategy. We know what is needed and that is defined in the global strategy for infant and young child feeding. Uh, then the whole the crux of the matter here is that nobody can do this alone. We have to work in partnerships. We've got to bring in all the key stakeholders, women's groups, men's groups, trade unions, uh, you know, employers. We've got to bring in health sector like ministries of health, ministries of labor. Everybody has a role to play. And this is really what this SDG is about. It's like bringing in everybody who is concerned and interested making sure that the right things that have to be done, which have already been defined, we know what works, let's do it together. Let's just do it. Let's do yeah, it. Let's just yeah. do it. Why yeah. not? I mean, this is what this is. This is the whole thing about the sustainable development goals. We've got 15 years to get this thing right. So let's start now, you know, and let's that's what it. WABA really is promoting is let's start this thing and understand what these goals are about and let's get on with the work. I hear your son back there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. Which, which gives me the perfect opportunity to ask you the last question that I like mm -hmm. to ask everybody who comes on the show. Okay. Where are you in your life as a mom? Wow, that's a question that gives me goosebumps. Um, I'm in a situation where I'm supporting my children as a mother or as a parent to become adults, responsible adults, loving adults, caring adults. And um, hopefully, I think they're on the way, on the right track. A few hiccups and bumps, but I feel good as a mom. I've given them a good start. And, and, and now, of course, there are challenges as they are growing up and all that. But um, that's where I am right now, is to support them to become, you know, the people that they want to become. That's a great answer. Amal, um, well, this has been a real pleasure to talk to you. Mm, likewise. <laughs> I, I hope that you and I are going to be able to talk on the podcast again and again. Yes, I hope yeah. so too. <laughs> well, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to discuss with you and talk about this important issue and lots of different things and angles. And I'll be sending everybody to the World Breastfeeding Week and WABA websites. And yes, World Breastfeeding Week extends through Sunday, doesn't it? Yes, it does. And there are some countries around the world like Canada and in Scandinavia and other places that actually celebrate even later in the year, in October. Mm -hmm. So there will be continued activity. And so keep visiting the website and the social media. And people can go on the website and find activities Yes, and, and, and social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, we're all, we're out there. It's out there. Well, yeah. thank you very much, and we'll talk again. Yeah, thank you. Mama said there'll be days like this, there'll be days like this, Mama said. Mama said, Mama said, Mama said there'll be days like this, 
My guest today was Amal Omer Salim, Executive Director of the World Alliance for Breastfeeding Action, or WABA, WABA. You can learn more about their work on waba.org. You can learn more about World Breastfeeding Week at worldbreastfeedingweek.org. Common Sense Pregnancy and Parenting Podcast is produced in Portland, Oregon by Alex Ward at Sounds Like Pictures Studios. You can learn more about me and my work at genefaulkner.com. You can tweet me at genefaulkner. You can make a donation to keep this conversation going at genefaulkner.com. And you can find my book, Common Sense Pregnancy and Parenting, everywhere books are sold. Thanks for joining me this week, and we'll talk again next week. Bye, everybody. Someone will look at me